Do you have the tools to turn your insights into action? Let's be honest, not all marketing activities are created equal. AppSlyer's analytics suite simplifies its complex data and gives you a unified view of campaign performance so you can make better, faster marketing choices at every stage of the customer journey. The goal is to create exceptional experiences that keep customers engaged. To succeed, you need to meet your customers where they are. AppSlyer's customer experience and engagement suite powered by a reliable deep linking engine, lets you create personalized journeys that increase conversion and return on every experience. In addition, AppSlyer is going to keep your budget safe from mobile ad fraud. Bots and click farms aren't going to generate revenue for you. That's why you need a comprehensive fraud protection solution to make sure you're investing in the right channels and only measuring and paying for real actions. Are you ready to start making good choices? Great. Go to appslier.com and get yourself an attribution partner you deserve. I think what's become clearer, certainly in the last few years, as competition in the game industry has really stepped up, is that there's a fundamental difference between a great game and a great game business. You know, you could be super lucky. Your game is an instant hit. It's resonating with users. But for when that's not the case, or even when you just want to take your game growth to the next level, that's where we come in. So we've developed a really incredible platform that's designed to make you as powerful and as capable as possible in growing your game, whether that's growing your game revenue or growing your user base. That was Melissa Zeloff, VP of Marketing at Ironsworth. Welcome, everybody, for to Twig 159. We got a crew and... Three out of four in this crew has a BMI higher than an executive level. <laughs> so, <laughs> and it kind of suits the uh, the topics and the things that we talk about because they're also 75% not executive level discussion. So um, anyways, how's everybody doing? On the, on the BMI point, I woke up at 5.15 this morning to go to the gym. Oh, wow. Wow. With yeah. your new trainer? Uh, yeah, with my trainer because we're, you know, we're, it's a holiday week. So I Is had that the same sleep. trainer that broke your back? It is the same, but he rebuilt. He rebuilt me. Like <laughs> wow, dude! Motivation. He, oh my he, god! He broke me down and rebuilt me. Listen, Better. I I know a couple of things about training, and when when Suford was talking about this trainer, I was like, wow, he's gonna kill you. And then like a few weeks later, it's like my back, my back is busted. It's like almost, you were doing some crazy stuff. Almost did, but you know. <laughs> Was his name David Goggins or what was the uh, what was the <laughs> name, no, no joke, his name is Lucifer. Oh, no, get really? out. No, I don't <laughs> joke. I'm joking. <laughs> I believe, I believe oh you God. for a nanosecond right there. Um. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's in Texas. That could be. That's totally. <laughs> so. So I'm uh, I'm on my on all this like executive talk about the BMI thing has got me all hot and bothered. So I, I'm back on track <laughs> for the 15 by 50. I have I have stopped alcohol for the last 24 days, which now I understand after all this time that that is actually a critical step in terms of getting getting lean and shredded is that you cannot drink alcohol. And I apologize to everyone out there who drinks responsibly. That is not me. Um, so I am boozeless, uh, for the last 24 days and I'm, I'm trying to like continue throughout the year and continue to exercise. Uh, so anyway, 
I'm still, I'm, I'm still, I'm man, on track. Man, it makes track. so much more sense now why you're so angry all the time. <laughs> no, oh, man. Exactly. No, no, I, you, you can ask my wife. She's like, what the fuck is wrong with you, you know? Um, but uh, at the end of the day, like, I have a trajectory. By the end of the year, I will be EA, NFT, superstar, <laughs> czar, ready, right? I'll be ready. Under 25? What's what's EA's BMI for an executive? Is it 26 or 20? Like, can you I be a 20, little bit over? No, no, it's 25, dude. 25. 25. All right. No one, no one All lasts right. if you're over 25, dude. Just, just look. <laughs> so Eric will be VP of blockchain at EA at the mm-hmm. end of 2022. That's, right. oh, That's v- the best. SVP. SVP. They're going to be banging down my fucking door, dude. I'm telling you. They're coming after me, man. <laughs> yep. That's that's one hundred percent true. <laughs> so, uh, so anybody else has uh, important updates to, to, to like a personal updates? Eric, what's that cap? That what's going on? Oh, I don't. Just my work. My hair is a nasty mess because I just came from the gym. So just. To, oh my god! I need well, some. I, got- uh, I need some wide brim caps like you, man. I just got I got this in Cabo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I need to send you the uh, the investor caps. I, I actually now that you're talking about barbershop, I went to a barbershop and this I became a regular instantly. So he was, you know, he did my hair and everything. Was, everything was normal, and he was taking off my, my the uh, whatever the uh, the overcoat off. He's like. Dude, you're you're really jacked. Like, do you compete in bodybuilding? And I was like, dude, I'm a regular right now. Like, thank you. <laughs> like, that's like when is next free time? I'll come in tomorrow. Okay, let's let's okay, start first, the article. Wait, first of all, what kind of flex? Gym now. What kind of flex? Oh, let's that? get started. No, 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 no. I'm not. No, I'm not letting him away with that. What kind of flex yeah. was that? First of all. And how can that be a professional haircut, dude? It looks like your your daughter cut listen, your hair, man. Yeah, listen, like a haircut is not perfect, but the guy was like the compliments were were amazing. So it wasn't a flex. Nobody has ever said that to me, and I was like, yes, thank you. So, so you're not going back there because the quality of the haircuts, just because he's fluffing you up, right? Is that what? Yes, happened? yeah, correct, correct. <laughs> like my my ego, like I, I think I PR'd my squad after that. <laughs> Anyways, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Oh, <laughs> Anyways, updates. So, uh, quick shout out to uh, GeekLab. So, GeekLab is a this marketability service that we're using. And actually, myself and Eric Sufert is an investor in this company. But I just want to give them a shout out because I was having a lot of problems with running my campaigns on on Facebook, just testing a bunch of stuff. And and these guys came through. And and I mean, like I've never received this kind of customer support. So, just wanted to give uh, an official shout out because. Fantastic customer support. I also want to do a correction regarding Romanian internet speeds. Uh, apparently, they're crushing everybody with their internet speed. So uh, I was I was giving them shade, uh, and they did. And the uh, the Romanian uh, game industry professional did say that it is a highly corrupted country, uh, <laughs> and uh, and a little bit of a you know you could see a. Anyways, they said a lot of true things, but they also said that they crush everybody in, in internet speed. So at least you can't fault them for that. So we won't. Uh, off to, uh, you know, actually impactful news. So China has suspended Tencent from updating existing apps. Now, Chinese Ministry of Industry and Information Technology has told app stores and platforms to implement the order against Tencent apps. Uh, it's not known how long the suspension will last. And the Chinese ministry has not published any information about the ban. It's also not clear whether this is like a Tencent portfolio-wide ban or is it under the apps that are published under Tencent name, probably for the apps that are published under Tencent name, but definitely, you know, not uh, a good Wednesday for for folks at uh, Tencent, especially in China. Um, 
Then uh, Niantic has partnered with Fold to create AR Bitcoin metaverse experience. Now they did win the uh, <laughs> the hype word bingo on on this on this title, but the plan is to create an alternate version for the metaverse. Uh, alongside the partnership reveal, Fold has uh, so Fold has revealed that the launch of the beta for its new augmented reality experience within its app, the AR beta app, will overlay Bitcoin prizes onto the real world using Niantic's real world mapping tech. Fold is calling this a step into the real world metaverse. Um, so, <laughs> a little bit of a rant about metaverse. So. My my LinkedIn, I was I was kind of going through the news and, and just scrolling the LinkedIn is just filled with with all kinds of metaverse stuff. Uh, I don't know if it's just this week, but but it kind of is on on the next level. And I've seen folks referring to, as metaverse to almost everything. Uh, there was one post uh, that was even calling Club Penguin that old uh, web was it a game or a platform or a social structure? Even that was being called as a metaverse. And and Chris. You're great, but, but let's relax a little bit. So that was his post. Anyways, uh, I think it's disturbing that there's nothing negative being said about the whole context of metaverse. Now I might be the only one here, but but I just I find it weird that that we're being put. Okay, this is kind of gonna sound crazy, but but I feel like like they're they're pushing this you know this this uh, virtual world where where if you're living a little bit of an unfulfilling life, you could just go there, just put on some goggles and escape the reality no no accountability no real human connections no ownership just you know don't change everything about your life but just go into this imaginary virtual place built by a profit-seeking corporation and you can hang out with all the imaginary friends and virtual friends in this in this metaverse like that's i know that that's a hyperbolic thing to say and it's on the other spectrum and i don't believe in everything that i said but but kind of like there's nothing that is even talking about the negative aspects of metaverse there's always this like incredible hype about this metaverse and that metaverse nobody even knows what a metaverse is but it's awesome and let's go all in it so you know just sharing a thought okay i've been having this conversation for maybe 15 20 years because <laughs> the, the, the reality of it is is like you know and i was talking to some other people about this this week for for some strange reason but I think what people are starting to realize is that there are metaverses everywhere right now, right? Roblox, World of Warcraft, Call of Duty, even Club Penguin, right? They're all metaverses in their own way, right? Large groups of together, people getting together with 3D avatars, interacting socially with each other. I mean, all this is a metaverse to some degree, right? Even like things like Slack and Discord and Battle.net and Facebook and Instagram and Snap. Snap is the worst, actually, by the way, after watching my daughter play with that thing. She can track her friends all over the freaking globe, you know, wherever they are. Anyway, it's bizarre. But um, I think fundamentally we have a definition problem. That's the big thing, right? And and I what I always keep saying is that people, this it's inevitable. It is inevitable, right? Like building a virtual world in which you are interacting in a way is that is going to be comp- more compelling in a lot of ways than real life, right? It's like it's going to happen, right? You're going to take the blue pill or the red pill, whatever the fuck the pill is, you know, from the matrix, right? So I think as more and more people get engaged in this stuff, they're going to realize how compelling it is. And it's virtually 
inevitable that uh, these type of uh, systems will exist. I, I don't think it's going to be one big metaverse. I think it's going to be multiple metaverses in which people are engaging in. And whether it's Roblox or Epics or Facebooks or Meta, whatever the fuck they're called now. And like, who knows, right? You know, I was thinking about this for Netflix, right? You know, why doesn't Netflix build out more of a social community around their content, right? Why don't they have more Maybe that's part of their strategy, right? Building out some social network, talking about movies and comparing notes. And like, I mean, I think that would be really cool too, right? So I don't know. That's that's kind of my take on it. I think it, people live very humdrum lives, you know, and 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 there's certain compelling nature of interactive and, and, and you know, creating a 3D representation of yourself and exploring new universes and battling monsters and like all the other things or just playing, you know, Freaking card games, you know, it's like really fun, right? So anyway, I don't know. I think this is inevitable. I, th- I think the, the problem with the metaverse narrative now is that it's just basically marketing packaging, right? Kind of marketing jargon to to justify platform lock-in or, or to sort of signal that coming, to signify that that's coming, right? So, and I think, you know, depending on your perspective or, you know, what you're trying to sell and to, to whom, we're either very, very far away from a true metaverse experience, but, you know, it's that's what we're building and that's what, you know, the future is and we're best positioned to to build it or we're already living in it and we have it and we're going to dominate, you know, this kind of metaverse landscape. So I think if you're a big company that wants to detach itself from any sort of platform dependency and move users into a constellation of your products that that constitute the metaverse and that are accessed by a bunch of different types of hardware, right? And that's meta. That's what meta is. Then the metaverse is coming. It's just going to take some time, but bear with us because we have a very you know important big vision for the future. Or if you're a company that already operates a closed platform, and well, then you're, you're the metaverse, and you'll continue to continue to capture more engagement and monetization, and, and as consumer behavior shifts towards it, and you're going to dominate in this sort of metaverse landscape because you're first, and you're going to do it best. And that's Roblox, right? That's their that's their argument, right? And I'm not really sure I buy the idea of one unified metaverse. Nor do I buy the idea of a collection of disparate metaverses that are somehow interoperable via crypto assets or whatever else. <laughs> you know, I think right right now the metaverse is just a is just a nebulous term that is that is meant to designate future platform, right? The future platform because mobile's old, right? Mobile's old, and we'll transition away from mobile. And there's going to be a future platform, but we don't know what the hardware looks like yet. And so, metaverse is just sort of a catch-all, to, a placeholder for that. But you know, no one knows uh, what that'll look like, and 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 that's fine, and we can talk about it still. And it'll take shape, but like you know, the 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 argument, the, the sort of the, the marketing narratives are, are are you know dependent on like what kind of company you already are is the problem. Yeah, uh, but here, okay, I just want to make one more thing, one more point on this is that the reality of what we're seeing though is that these social games are the ones that are becoming the most compelling and the most the best monetized game. So if you're building out, let, let's say Call of Duty is a metaverse to some degree and you have like 50 million people playing on a monthly basis, like the only reason that they're playing is because all these things exist within the game to keep it social, keep people engaged with each other, right? And so by saying that you're part of building some type of metaverse thing, it's kind of true, but it's maybe the word itself has a lot more meaning than I think the, what the marketing jargon is trying to suggest is that you're building a social game in which people are going to be engaging with each other on a regular basis and keeping people, you know, super engaged with your product and spending is what, what the ultimate goal is, right. For these companies. Mm. I think uh, Raf Koster put out some pretty good blog articles trying to actually add like proper semantics and definitions to each one of these words that people are using. 
Um, but I don't know. I'm just kind of at the point where like, just let these people have fun with the word, right? Like yeah. it's the same thing as, as blockchain, right? Like sure. Use it as a wrapper for whatever thing. And let's just hope that it all settles down in the next five years when there's actually some reality attached to it. Because I, I agree with Eric, both Eric's really that it's, you know, it's just a wrapper and also yeah. Multiplayer social platforms are effectively all metaverses. So it's uh, the next thing platform that people are going to build will be a metaverse will be something else. So let's just wait for that to happen. Yeah. Okay. Well, wanted to just raise up. It's also interesting because the first news that I covered was the uh, first update was the uh, China update and they are very strict against, you know, almost like teens playing games and they're kind of like anti metaverse, if you will. Uh, for youngsters, so it's it seems like well, this they, is they they want the Chinese government metaverse, and that everybody yeah, and, and into their metaverse, and and also I mean like in every authoritarian um, government, the, uh, the the sort of like the uh, the worst thing is people getting together and talking like that, that's you can't have an authoritarian government if you have that element. So so it's it's understandable that tech like to keep are the, the podcast biggest. running for a couple more years. So let's oh, <laughs> let's move past the Chinese okay, government. Talk. Okay. Yeah. Let's let's talk about let's talk about Moon Active or something more fun. <laughs> I have one update, right? So I'm going to I'm going to do a periodic update on this just because mm-hmm. I'm an asshole. Because you're you're crushed. Yeah. You're, you're, you just, love you love this guy. Just cuz I'm a jerk, right? And uh you know I am going to give a czar of NFT gaming update. Mr. Matt Wolf from uh, Zynga fame. I am going to see what the global leader of NFTs is saying about NFTs. And he has been in the job for 16 days and not a word. Not a word, you know. So I'm going to wait. I'm going to keep on tracking him, seeing what's going on, seeing what (coughs) expertise and wisdom he can provide the NFT market as being the czar of NFTs. So I'm waiting for you, Mr. Matt Wolf. Uh, let me know what happens, okay, with the with the NFT world. Thank you. All right, Eric. Eric. I, Eric. I've got a. I've got a, a, a an article coming up that's going to trigger you. I'm. <laughs> I'm. I'm writing. I'm writing the. Uh, I'm going to spell out what I think is the bull case for Zynga. Oh, really? Yeah. But so. But but what it's so the the the. I mean the. I mean I think. It's pretty obvious the blockchain thing that was just a superficial throwaway to try to juice no, the stock. No, it's not. I mean, that, no, it's not. I, dude, he's a VP, senior VP, dude. Like, oh clearly, there's some real I, I suggest, consideration going on here, right? I would suggest right. Crest goes and has a drink with him, but Crest doesn't even drink. So. <laughs> dude, how could I be drinking <laughs> if I want to get to a 15% BMI, dude? Stop it. 25, 25, 15 is the start. By the way, Zynga's stock is on its ass, dude. It's like $6.30. Uh, <laughs> well, I was going to say that. So it's down It's down like 35% year to date, but it's down about 50% from peak this year. So, I mean, but it's just like, like what's what's the path forward? It's not blockchain. Obviously, <clears throat> they're not really committed to that. If Absolutely they were, they would have they taken are. a different approach. Dude, when they were when they bought Rolex, they were convinced that this was going to give the, you know, the, the key to their UA future, right? I mean, are these all Rolex false flags? Rolex, Rolex, are these no, all but Rolex, Rolex is doing flags? great. Rolex has <laughs> done really well. Now the question is, does it continue to do well? And that's going to be in my article. But uh, but anyway, I I'm gonna this you're gonna you're gonna get triggered when you start right. the article. I'll, I'll cover it, dude. I'm not. I, I'll cover it. I'll be like, who the fuck wrote this bullshit? <laughs> I'm kidding. I I don't think Zynga's doomed. I just think they got a lot of work to do over the next couple of years. <laughs> that's what I think. All right. All right. First, oh, on a better note. 
I actually bought a positive article for the ones. Uh, Moon Active uh, surges to $5 billion on a $300 million investment. I think starting, I think Insight was leading it, um, which I don't even know Insight. Do you guys know Insight by chance? No. All right. All right. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're one of the biggest VC firms in the world. Really? But they're not a gaming focused one, are they? No, no. I mean, they're, they're, they, they're, oh, they have to be fraud. They're so big. Got it. Got it. Okay. All right. Um, so the Israeli company raised $200 million in funding for a valuation of $5 billion. I thought it was $300 million. Oh, I wrote it down wrong. $300 million for a $5 billion valuation. The uh, company is expecting $1.5 billion in revenue in 2021. Um, the company had about a $1.25 billion valuation less than two years ago. Um, Moon Active is one of the largest independent studios that I know, right? You know, them and like Playrix, I guess, um, with their mega hit Coin Master. They have about 1,300 people, which seemed high, 700 of them in Tel Aviv. Uh, they've recruited over 400 people with this year, uh, half of them in R&D. Uh, they raised, I think this is correct. I was a little bit, the, the article was a little bit unclear, but they raised $10 million when they were founded and another $125 million from uh, Insight Partners a few years ago. So what's my take on this? Uh, I think what's remarkable about this is that um, they just knocked it out of the park with this coin master game, right? And they basically combined simulation and, and, and social casino, right? So mass market type gameplay with social casino, which everyone loves as, as a monetization metric, right? Um, uh, method, right? Um, I'm surprised actually that they have that many people. I, I was assuming that they were a much smaller uh, organization. 1,300 people is quite a bit, uh, even though not that big for how much revenue they're generating. Um, I'm assuming they're working on a bunch of new products, but would love to get some insights from anybody that knows anything about this company. Um, these types of rounds are likely cashing out early investors because they don't need the cash, right? Because they're fucking shedding cash constantly. Um they, uh, yeah, they don't likely need working capital, maybe a little bit, but most of it's probably just cashing out some investors and, and, and founders. <clears throat> They've only released, from Sensor Tower anyway, two games. Uh, one is uh, Coin Master, obviously, and then one is uh, Pet Master, which is basically, a seems to be a, a copy of it, which is doing only about $1.4 million a month. Um, so, so. What's weird about Pet Masters, actually, they've released it almost every country but the U.S. So I'm, is this a beta? I, you know, unclear. Maybe they're trying to scale it. I don't know what's going on with that. Um, what's crazy is the, I have no idea why this company has not been bought yet. And I think, actually, I do have an idea, but I'm saying that I don't have an idea. But <laughs> from my understanding is that they're fiercely independent and they don't want to be sold. That's my understanding. But I'd love to hear anybody's, <laughs> anybody who has insights on that. Um but anyway, I don't know. Anyone else have any insights on this company? I'm I'm fascinated as as an, the last remaining independent like big, you know, revenue type company. Like what what do you think the future has for these guys? Anybody? They're they're just master executors. They they have an amazing UA team, um, and uh, and and they they have just you know executed beautifully. I I, I think they want to. Yeah, I think you're right, Chris. They want to stay independent. But I mean, I think you know if 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 they're on this growth trajectory. They could be, you know, a very, very large mobile, like the largest mobile gaming company and not that long, uh, right? Uh, so I, I feel like, you know, they just continue to play into their strengths. They got a lot more money in the bank uh, to fuel growth and, and and they'll probably just do that. Yeah, just looking at their, their recent numbers, um, it's, um, I mean, yes, they're, they're master executors, but um, 
they've they've peaked at 9.3 million a month uh, downloads in January, and since then they have almost had a 300 percent drop in downloads. So uh, the revenue is holding steady, uh, but uh, you know it's that's a, that's a quite of a drop in in downloads. And and also when when Eric when you mentioned uh, it's a simulation in social casino, I, I would I would kind of describe it more as a PvP sort of a, um, yeah almost like a base builder plus social casino because you're you're trying to steal shit from other players and they're trying to steal it back and you have a limited amount of time to accumulate as much wealth needed to progress to the next stage before people steal it from you so it's it's very much a, a PvP game with a social casino component. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, that's basically you know most that I know. I I know a lot of people, not, not a lot. I know a few people who work at 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 CoinMaster, and and a lot of the um, a lot of people work actually remote. So they're big on remote work, and that's quite typical also for Israeli companies is to have a headquarters and a lot of smart people in, in Tel Aviv and a lot of execution folks in in um, Eastern Europe uh, as well as you know dispersed. Do Do you think is is Tel Aviv the the new HQ of, of global mobile gaming. I feel like it is, man. I feel like it's taking Tel Aviv is definitely is. Te- Tel Aviv like on the fire. tech component. They are an absolute fire. And the, and the thing is, like, they've actually bought a lot of companies from from Helsinki as well. So they are kind of taking over. And I know we were talking a lot about uh, Istanbul being kind of like the next one, but the the talking to a lot of Turks, I have, I have a lot of, a lot of acquaintances. This is coming from the uh, from the Turks in the industry. They say that. Um, they don't have that sort of a like everybody pulls together, but they kind of like <laughs> they have like a strong internal rivalry. So, for example, if I would go to Adam, I'm like, Adam, uh, I have these numbers in my game. Like, what do you think? And he'd ha- be having another company in Istanbul and he'd say, like, yeah, those are garbage. Like, you should just kill the game, <laughs> even though they wouldn't be. <laughs> so they're like sabotaging each other and just being <laughs> incredible. And, and then they they're, they talk about people who, for example, if I work at a company and Eric has a company and then one of my employee goes and interviews at Eric's place, and I would know about it. I would fire that guy and tell Eric not to fu- hire that guy. Like like this type wow. of. Be- they, I was I was being told this type of stories, and they're like, "We need to we need somebody to come in here and tell about." <laughs> I was like, "That we need to work together and <laughs> not against each other." So it's like a Shark Tank. That's basically Istanbul game development is a Shark Tank. So yes, uh, I would I would put my money on Tel Aviv rather than uh, than on Istanbul at this point. But shout out, we're we're doing a, a DOF event in Istanbul, probably in Q1. So uh, we'll bring in some positive vibes that you could work together and grow together. <laughs> oh man, well, yeah, okay, wait, count wait, wait. me in for a speaking yeah. position. Yes, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's gonna be. Um, we got the sponsors aligned and everything, and um, um, it's for C level. But I think we're, we're gonna do a, a couple of events, one for C and one for like uh, for general folks. Just bring good vibes, you know. <laughs> C level and then then Eric can come. Yeah, yeah, yeah. everybody and Eric's. <laughs> dude, by the way, you just show you just thrown shade on China and now Turkey, mm-hmm. dude. So you're gonna be persona non grata like around the world at this. No, 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 no. This is that every Turk that is listening to this is just nodding their head. Like, yep, that sounds exactly <laughs> right. And they they were saying that some like come in, come tell us like how you guys like tell things to get to each other. And grow like it, it's not like one company grows and the other lose. It's just like you can grow the whole ecosystem um, at, at once. So, anyways, I don't know, man. I wouldn't a- be throwing shade at countries. I can I throw shade at, at executives. That's one thing, right? So I'm never gonna get a job at Zynga. But throwing shade at countries, <laughs> <laughs> they're coming after you, dude. 
No, 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 no. Every Turk is nodding their head. I'm telling you. They're like, that's that's 100%. (laughs) Sorry for interrupting this podcast, but I got an important message. It's about increasing your game's revenues. I bet your mobile games is ready to find new untapped audience and a juicy 40% revenue boost. Well, you can achieve global reach and acquire new players with local payment methods and exclusive content and with huge savings on platform fees. After recent events allowing developers to sell virtual items and currencies directly to players with a substantial savings on transaction fees, Exola launched WebShop for mobile games. This timely solution helps you unlock global potential and grow your mobile games beyond the App Store and unite your player community across all devices. Plus, it can also improve discoverability and boost player retention. If you're ready to increase revenue, save on fees, and regain control over distribution, Exola Web Shop for mobile games can help you succeed. Visit exola.pro/dof or go to the link in this podcast description. Let's take a little break and talk about how to boost your live ops. Now, we all know that you need great people and fantastic tools to get the most out of your live games. And I'm sure you got the people part covered. But how fantastic your tools truly are. Well, listen, if your game is made with Unity, you need to check out Beamable. Beamable is like an operating system for live games built in Unity. Beamable simplifies everything from updating your game to selling all those cool in-game items with special offers. And when it comes to live events and competitive features like leaderboards, Beamable got you covered. And Beamable is not only for your product folks. With visual prefabs for Unity and the ability to keep all your server code in C-sharp means life is simpler for your programmers and most importantly, you'll get to the market faster. If much lower cost of development and efficiency of operations is your jam, then Beamable is your toast. Go to Beamable.com because Deconstructor of Fun told you so. Now let's take a little break from all these news and talk about consultants. You know, one of my biggest triggers in gaming is consultants. These big firms think they can manage game making with PowerPoints. They are literally the destroyers of studios. Don't get me wrong. It's not that these folks aren't smart. They're some of the smartest and highly educated people in the world. But they lack two key things, passion for games and industry experience. To put it simply, they lack context. One area that context is absolutely critical is consumer insights. As the name implies, you are trying to understand your customer and gain keen insights by asking the right questions. Without the right context, it's almost impossible to be successful. The big CI firms fall into the same trappings. Just because a firm has gamers on staff doesn't mean they know how to, what it takes to build and ship successful games. You need to work in the industry to really understand the challenges and agony that studio and marketers have to go through to bring a product to market. That's why I recommend Beta Hat. Stan Kwan and his team at Beta Hat have deep experience in the industry that provides the context needed for actionable insight. Stan's own experience includes 15 years within the gaming industry leading strategic functions at EA, GameSpot, and Ubisoft. Other research firms package up gaming and entertainment bucket or use like these old methods from packaged goods industries. Gaming is different. For game CI, you need to understand what people play, where people play, how they play, and why they play. You need to understand console, mobile, free-to-play, software as a service, subscription models. Whether it's consumer segmentation, brand tracking, concept testing, conjoint analysis, or focus testing, Stan and his team have the context to deliver exceptional insights into the gaming customer. Please reach out to Beta Hat by visiting their website at betahatmr.com. That's B-E-T-A-H-A-T-M-R.com. Now, back to the episode. 
Okay, so this article is mine. So this was uh, League of Legends Esports Remains Unprofitable, and this was uh, on VentureBeat. It was an interview with John Needham, who is the uh, the president of esports. So I'm going to just summarize the article and, and give a couple of takes. So Riot Games' newly promoted president of esports, John Needham, told the publication um, that even though a decade-old league even though it's a decade old esports league hasn't been profitable for the company and that's just fine. Needham said that the company has grown esports revenue 70% uh, in a year in the past four years. So every year, 70% still unprofitable. Uh, they got sponsors that include MasterCard, Verizon, Mercedes-Benz, Bose, Unilever, Red Bull, Spotify, um, Louis Vuitton, like you name it, uh, Coca-Cola, Amazon. And, um, Outside of China, more than 4 million people have watched the latest League of Legends World Championship that concluded on November 5. So they got the sponsors, they got the audience, um, and um, Needham explained that there's the for the last five years, the publisher has been working to build the game's esports operation into its own dedicated business, uh, but emphasized that the main focus has been on making sure that the competition teams are profitable and not necessarily a source of revenue for Riot Games. Uh, their mid-range goal for esports is to break even and then invest more in the larger ecosystem of the teams. Uh, quote him, uh, finally, if I can't make esports a great business for teams and our sponsors, then we are not going to last long. Okay, so a couple of takes. I actually reread the uh, the fantastic article on Kotaku by Cecilia D'Anastasia. Anastasia? Anyways, uh, I'll link it to the uh, to this, this uh, podcast. Uh, and she... I've, I've been I've been looking at esports for a while, but but this is kind of like esports is is crafting the story that every kid watches esports. The money just keeps pouring in. There's these pros that are living in these massive you know Malibu houses, getting million dollar checks just to play play games all day. And eventually, this will take over traditional sports, and it's actually on its way. And this has naturally led to VCs as well as sponsors pouring more money into esports. Uh, but then. That's, you know, quite not the true at the moment, because in, back in 2019, uh, in GDC, Frank Fields, who is a Corsair's sponsorship manager, told the audience, I feel like esports is almost running a Ponzi scheme at this point. Everyone I talk to in the industry kind of acknowledges that the fact there's, there is value in esports, but it's not nearly the value that is getting hyped these days. As of now, the value of esports is optimistic at best and fraudulent at worst. And he kind of refers probably to the headlines that we're seeing about esports and have been seeing. Like, for example, Overwatch League could conceivably generate $720 million in revenue, about the same as World Wrestling Entertainment. Or League of Legends gets more viewers than Super Bowl. Or League of Legends, Dota 2, Overwatch, and, or Counter-Strike may be on par with National Football League's viewership today. And the problem is that a lot of these statistics are, at best, very rosy-eyed and at worst inflated, unverified, or just simply misleading. Uh, as an example, if you look at Nielsen, the way they track viewership of NFL or Super Bowl, uh, they would count it only if you've been watching uh, the game for six minutes, uh, versus for esports, they may even count when somebody is on front page of Twitch and essentially just gets that traffic, or um, uh, there's there's even cases where, okay, I'm not going to go into details of, of different activities because I'm not sure if those are true, but anyways. So in my opinion, esports has been a bubble for quite a while now. And um, and I think, you know, there's there's the problem with the numbers uh, because the numbers are coming in from different teams, different franchises, 
uh, different leagues, as well as Nuzu. And just to go into details, you know, we sh we throw a little bit of a shade at Nuzu, but I'm just going to give an example of how Nuzu, for example, looks at the revenue numbers in esports. So basically, they look at like 14 top teams. They survey 70,000 people across 30 different countries. Uh, they can't really fact check the data sent to them by by the 100% by 100% accuracy. But what they do is they compare it against the other team's data. And Nuzu does not have visibility into the data of game publishers, which crucially make it difficult to discern the financial realities of esports industry from the gaming industry at large. Uh, and through that, the reports kind of are, um, you know, an educated guest or a speculation at best. Um, and then that leads to these numbers that are quite often inflated because they're produced by by the teams, by the leagues. Uh, and that creates, of course, FOMO or it has created before. And then that creates more money coming into esports. And that grow that leads to these valuations that are pretty absurd for for different teams that are making like 20 million in revenue or at a valuation of 300 million. And through that, the bubble keeps grow, growing. And when we look at the facts, like, most of like esports leagues operate at a loss due to lack of revenue. Um, and this is while, you know, having audiences, having fees, having sponsors, they still can't turn it profitable. Uh, and then, you know, esports don't really increase engagement with the games. Like this is the, the typical story that is being told, but there's really no public study proving that players who regularly tune in to watch their favorite esports team uh, playing longer than non-esports fan because they follow that league. So there's there's just not proof of that. And kind of like to summarize it, I think there's there's four big challenges for esports. Uh, number one is, of course, how do they make money? Because in regular sport, sports, the content distributors pay massive chunks of the revenue in license fees. And that means like TV rights. For example, in esports, Twitch and YouTube don't really pay anything. Or if they do want to have an exclusivity, they pay pretty much peanuts compared to what ESPN would pay to uh, to a regular sports. As an example, Overwatch went to Twitch for $90 million for two years exclusivity. That's $45 million a year. And then UFC went to ESPN for exclusivity at $1.5 billion for five, for five years. So that's $300 million a year plus pay-per-views. Now, these, these kind of like lack of money leads to companies having to find ways to directly monetize them without digital services and digital goods. And as an example, Riot has been doing these drops, so basically pushing digital, digital codes and digital items directly to viewers. And how it works is basically a professional player chooses a certain skin, then Riot can run a flash promotion and sell that directly to viewers through the broadcast stream. So they're trying to find these, these different methods. But of course, it's not the same as getting, you know, 300 million guaranteed a year plus, you know, plus all the extra. So money is the one. Number two is growing the audience. So uh, I don't know if you guys have been to esports events. I have been to quite a few, actually. Uh, my wife actually <laughs> built an esports organization, so I'm, I'm quite familiar with this. I've seen the uh, the front end. I've seen the back end. I've seen everything that happening on the esports. And, you know, they're, they're quite daunting to follow. I'll be honest. Like, you know, to understand what's happening in a game, you have to really, really understand the game. And as an example, I, I used UFC before, like I can use UFC now, like, yes, UFC can be very technical, but in all simplicity, there's two two women or two men walking inside a cage, beat the shit out of each other, and one of them walks out. So that's very simple to understand. Whereas just rules of League of Legends or, or watching Counter-Strike being played at a high level is very difficult to understand. Now, that makes it hard to enjoy for masses, 
And um, then also there's a problem that these games, not unlike Counter-Strike or League of Legends, but or Overwatch being an example, they go out of fashion really quickly versus basketball or baseball or hockey. They don't really go out of fashion. Like there's good years, there's bad years, but people always play baseball. They always play hockey, but people don't play Overwatch that much anymore compared to, let's say, in 2019. So what has been happening is how they grow the audience is, is kind of adding a lot of fluff to these events, like musical guests and, you know, pushing TV shows like the Arcane. And those are great, but is do they do they really grow the esports? Like are the, are the people there for the musical ensemble or for the uh, for the esports? Like is it just inflating the numbers because it's it's uh, like you know it's it's hard to see that that they're actually growing the audience during the Super Bowl like weekend doing the yeah. Yeah, thing. Super is that Bowl just to inflate numbers? Of course, right? They, they yeah. want as many people viewing those things as possible. Exactly. I'm sure that exactly. I, should, I wouldn't fault them for that. No, no, I'm, I'm not faulting. I'm just saying like how to grow the audience. Like they're adding a lot of fluff to it. Uh, and then they're doing good things. Like they're they're pushing diversity to get more women competitors through that, connect to women fans through that, get more women playing the games that are traditionally being played by a majority of men. Uh, and, um, you know, and that's probably what the reasons why the companies have been really honing in on, on removing all toxicity from their games uh, because they try to grow the uh, the audience base. And then two other ones, so so how to grow, how to get money. Uh, number three is how to run physical events. That's self-evident. Before that, you know, they, they ran a lot of events, ESL being one of the biggest ones, but those have been gone during the COVID era. So how do they get back to it, uh, get back to stadiums, get back to running it because the ticket sales are very important. The quality of events is much better when it's physical. The fan interaction is much better, you know, the, all these elements. And then final one is what's going to happen with China? Because traditionally, one of the strongest markets uh, for, for, for many esports, now CCP is strictly limiting gaming for kids. That means that basically all the young generations are not coming out of, out of China. Uh, there's no talent. There won't be any fan base. And through that, there won't be any esports in, in, in China. So as a conclusion, um, you can't really make money on esports. That's basically what the Riot article was trying to say. Uh, Riot's League of Legends esports is arguably most successful out there. That and Counter-Strike, probably the, the two biggest one. It's grown rapidly. 70% of revenue is growing year over year, four years straight, and still lose money. And it's trying to break even at best. Um, the, the esports is a bubble, in my opinion, due to the inflated numbers that then lead investors to put in more money into it. And that's that's really the problem is like we don't see the real numbers. And esport does have the potential to become bigger or as big as original sports in maybe a decade. But as long as this sort of a bad cycle continues of, of you know, not showing the real numbers, inflating everything, and then that will lead to burning out, you know, to, to burn out the investors and some kind of a radical market correction, that's not going to happen as, you know, as as easily as it would otherwise. And I think that influencers who play esports games are proving to be more sustainable industry than esports because we've seen big games like Call of Duties or are the ones launched but with the help of influencers. And um and it's weird to say, but but actually they they seem to be you know working better than than uh than this uh, esports industry at the moment. So long rant I have been just following this a lot. I I'm very interested in in how things turn around. Uh but um but it's it's you know it's it, it doesn't look that great if even Riot can turn it to a break even. Uh quickly on my take on this is that you know like when esports started getting really hot and Overwatch was 
the Overwatch League was being built by uh, Activision, I started looking into it, right, and talking to as many people as I could about what the op- what the opportunity and potential was. Um, and it was clear from the very beginning, and this was like, what, five years ago, maybe, that esports was always a marketing expense. Anybody at Riot would have told you that. Um, it was pretty clear, right? They never made any money, you know, despite how big things got. Um, and the real promise and the reason that I just completely went negative on esports five years ago was that the real promise was TV broadcasting, right? That was the only way they could really scale and make a ton of money is broadcasting it on TV, getting those rights and selling advertising, right? That was it. Sponsorship is a limited amount of money that they can make. Making profitability at the venue is like impossible because it's way too expensive to run. But none of the huge audiences really followed them to TV. They stayed on Twitch and and YouTube and others, right? Um, And then I talked to really, really kind of like a senior level person in an advertising agency, a couple of them actually, and they said there's much easier and cheaper ways of attracting this audience than esports, right? So like if they want to go for the 18 to 44 year old males, they got a lot of ways of doing it, right? So they never needed esports, despite all the people talking about how awesome it was going to be to get this audience. Um, so it just never was going to take off the way they expected. Um, and then the other fundamental problem with esports just in general is there's too many fucking hands in the cookie jar, right? Like when you run an event and run all these things, ultimately everyone is getting paid. You have the studio, you have the publisher, you have the venue, you have the promoter, you have the manager, you have the site owners, you have the advertisers, everyone's getting paid. You can't make money in that scenario ever. Right. It's impossible. Right. Unless it's something as scalable as something like a, a, a regular sports league. Right. Um, so. I do think that esports will be part of the ecosystem forever. I don't think it's going to go away anytime soon, but I think it is going to be what it's always been is a marketing expense for games that benefit from it, from making money in games. Right. So. League of Legends does these things at a loss, most likely, because they know it drives engagement within their game when they're pushing new content or new characters or whatever the hell they're doing. And and that justifies it for them. And in that sense, they do make money on these things. But as an event itself and as a sport, no, never, right? Not my, I don't know. Not, I wouldn't say never, never. But, mm-hmm. you know, five years ago, I said, look, I could be wrong in five years, but I'm definitely right in the five years, Right. So I'm saying it again. I think I'm right in the next five years. I might not be right in the next five years after that. So, and and I, I do want to give Newzu some credit here. Finally, finally, I was looking at Newzu's <laughs> forecasts on esports, and they weren't that bad. They were not completely out of out of out of out of their mind bullish on on esports. They were pretty reasonable. I still question their numbers. Like I, I'm sure a lot of it's South Korea, a lot of it's China, a lot of it's like things that don't aren't relevant at all to the Western markets, which is what matters in, in a lot of people's publishers eyes but they, you know they they kept a relatively you know you know why reasonable because they've gotten so much public shit for their esports numbers like there there have been quotes like quotes from unnamed uh sources from like riot and activision just basically the quote saying that um Everybody knows that new zoo data is garbage. Like that was actually a quote from from Riot. Like like that kind of stuff. Wait a minute. So, so if, yeah, dude. So I've that's got, why they they really focused on on making them better. So I'm sure that now they're better. But initially, the esports report that they were putting out were a little bit inflated. 
Look, I am finally trying to get in good graces with Miss Candace <laughs> and Nuzu. And now Candace is not more at Nuzu. She's she's at NVIDIA. It doesn't so. matter. I was trying to give them props. I thought they were really reasonable. I was looking at yep. the old They've format. improved. They've improved. All right. Let's All right. give them some props. Do you, do you think it's a is it a problem for esports that, you know, the creator economy is 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 uh growing uh you know so so quickly and and you know I think the 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 bigger sort of um outcome for for people that are really good at these games is to become a famous streamer right or even even like a middling streamer because you can make a lot of money doing that and the esports teams don't make that much money um and then also you're you're just you're just one of whatever seven or eight or or you're a team player and i think a lot of these people want to be the star right um as so i just feel like if, if i was a really talented gamer which i'm absolutely am not um you know but i'd rather just try to to build a streaming audience than than become a a, a, a an esports like professional gamer no that's a good point Man, and you, you hear people retiring and moving on to do different things streaming and other like battle of time out of esports um but yeah they build up some you know, notoriety leverage, and leverage following. Your esports following to to move over to twitch and to youtube yeah right why not yeah um, well, no. Facebook, Facebook, so, did you know that Facebook gaming is bigger than Twitch in terms of hours streamed? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's and big. It's YouTube big. Gaming. It's big. I mean, Facebook really grew that uh, that business, and and I mean, I see it all. I mean, I watch a ton of streaming on Facebook. Um, you know, because it's there. You know, you go into Facebook and you can just watch some, you know a stream for a minute or two minutes versus like loading up Twitch. <laughs> but uh, back to the, the esports <laughs> is, is marketing, right? Um, I, I just like coming back to the, the headline, the fact that it's not profitable should not scare anybody, right? The point of esports is that it's marketing spends to drive interest in the game. And ideally there's say like a return on ad spend calculation of the incremental gain and in engagement and viewership that would show a positive ROI on esports from for the company, right? So, Suford, are you actually working on an MMM for Riot yet, or, or when is this going to happen? I don't know. You, that, you'd have to you'd have to think about that in a very specific way. I mean, I feel like that's really great for retention. Um, you know, if if you've got people really excited about watching the game, then you know, I don't know that. But there's no data. But there's but no like, data on it. But you can. I, I don't know. I would challenge that, right? Like I've seen from Twitch data, you can see spikes coming from esports. Spikes mm-hmm. in Twitch translate into DAU with more the concurrent game itself, players, right? But at the same time, the esports spike can only happen if there's enough scale in the game, right? Yeah, so but, but Adam, when you're talking about esports for a smaller game. It's not going to cause. But think about it. So, so if you're looking to get, like, why do people watch esports? So. Uh, unlike, you know, watching, let's say if I watch UFC, I'm not trying to learn new ways to kick somebody's ass. Like, but if I'm watching esports, I'm trying to learn how to play this game better. So through that, actually the most effective way, uh, to do that is by watching influencers and they're always there. They're always doing like, you can, you know, um, ninjas or whatnot, like, like, and, and that's what the, this is basically saying that, that you don't need to invest as much and, and make such a big loss on esports when you can just do it through influencers because they, the effect is the same. Sure. But then you see the, the uplift on Twitch from an eSport yeah. event and that translates into DAU. So there is yeah. a connection there, especially for re engagement There is. There, right? there is. But yes, influencers absolutely would drive more DAU yeah. overall. And, and, that, and that's the problem when, when we're saying this, that it's a marketing expense. That's 100% true. 
But the way it's being sold to investors is not that way. It's being sold like this is the new NFL. This is the new NBA. And that's why they're pouring so much money. It gets misconstrued. And then everybody who's trying to operate in the esports ecosystem has to operate in the shadow of a marketing expense for a larger developer. Yes. But isn't isn't this all old news? Like esports is no longer something that people are really investing in. They're investing in the metaverse. They're investing in user-generated content. They're investing in NFTs. Like esports... I think has already been proven not to be a good investment. And I don't think anybody's flocking towards it's, it. Well, it, maybe, yeah, maybe in a, in last year or so, but, but it, like, I remember when Miami heat and then PSG were setting up these teams and oh, right, like right. everybody was all in, in esports. And that was like, what year, a year and a half ago. So I wouldn't, you know, I, I think it's, it's good that we also review this, this type of stuff. Uh, because when I, when I would talk on a, you know, when I would talk in, in, in a company, like there was very seldom the perception that esports is a marketing cost. It was always like, no, it's an investment and we're going to make money off esports as well. Or at best, like it's going to be like break even this kind of like a, this loop that keeps growing our game. So, so no, this is not a common knowledge that esports is, is crazy. Like it, it's or inflated or a bubble and not that hot. So now it is hopefully. <laughs> All news. All right. Uh, where's Mr. Sufert talking about uh, gaming giant uh, King? So the article that I'm covering is gaming giant King names Fernanda Romano as chief marketing officer for Candy Crush. So Fernanda Romano is joining from footwear company Alpargatas, the owner of the <laughs> Havaianas brand. <laughs> I'm butchering these these names. Um, so about the hire, Activision Blizzard CMO Fernando Macado said, she is super creative and one of those people with the finger and the pulse of what is happening out there. And she has a proven track record of accelerating innovation, building great partnerships and fostering brand love. So I'm sure Ms. Romano is excellent at her job. And, and I don't want to discuss this particular appointment. But you know, this is one of my favorite topics, brand versus performance or, or sorry, you know, brand versus um well, I'll call it brand versus performance marketing for, for mobile games, but for just kind of mobile in general, right? That's one of my favorite topics. And in general, I think it's a mistake to appoint brand marketers to leadership positions at mobile first companies, uh, but especially for mobile gaming companies, right? So firstly, I've never seen this work and I've seen it happen many times. And I'm, I'm often called in to, to help clean up uh, the, the sort of uh, wreckage when, when, this, when this happens and, and inevitably doesn't work. Uh, and funnily enough, on the same day that this appointment was announced, the CMO of Discord announced that uh, she was leaving the company uh, after a little more than a year, uh, and she had, she had joined the company from Nike. So I have a bigger article coming out on this topic, uh, and I, I don't want to sort of derail from uh, the kind of more specific discussion, but, but I do want to highlight an article that I wrote in, in 2015 called Brand Equity on Mobile. And in the article, I use a definition of brand equity from a book called Managing Brand Equity. And the definition is, brand equity is a set of brand assets and liabilities linked to a brand, its name and symbol that add to or subtract from the value provided by a product or service to a firm and or that firm's customers, right? And so ultimately, if you think about what a brand is designed to achieve, it's presence of mind for when a purchasing decision is made such that revenue increases relative to what it would be without the brand. And so in that article, in my article, I cite another article titled The Measurement and Determinants of Brand Equity, a Financial Approach, that spells out the benefits of brand equity in an attempt to quantify its value. And those benefits are that, 
One, firms with strong brand equity can command a price premium for the products over those of competitors. And two, firms with strong brand equity can spend less on marketing than their competitors as a result of their brand's recognition, yet still achieve the same exposure. So, okay, the price premium, that doesn't exist for mobile games. Mobile games are free to download and mostly free to play. And it's hard to make the argument that brand equity does anything but help to improve click-through rates on paid ads. Which speaks to the second point, that firms can spend less on marketing than their competitors as a result of brand recognition and still achieve the same exposure. That's true, but then the point of brand equity for mobile apps, when you discount the price premium justification, is to improve the performance of user acquisition, right? And so brand has a role in the marketing org, but it's mostly a support function for direct response ads. uh, And so the leadership needs a very strong nexus of performance marketing experience. And the top marketer role should probably be a performance marketer, right? So I think this idea that the top marketer, the CMO, the head, the head of the marketing org is a brand marketer, um, that kind of uh, falls afoul of the point of brand equity on mobile. The point of brand equity on mobile is to support the, the install when you see an ad, is to, is, to, is to provide a little bit more motivation, a little bit more, uh, um, uh, a little bit more recognition such that, you know, the person is more likely to click the ad than they would have been if they didn't understand that, you know, this brand existed or they weren't familiar with the brand. And so I, you know, in general, and so aside from the, just, just, just from experience, having not seen this work ever, um, I, I think it, it, you know, fundamentally it makes sense that it wouldn't work. And fundamentally it makes sense that, you know, your top marketer, the sort of leadership team from, for a marketing org needs to be for a mobile gaming company, especially, but I think even for kind of any, any mobile app or any mobile first company really needs to be a performance marketer. That's that's really what's going to drive growth. That's really what's going to drive uh, commercial success. I think building a brand on its own doesn't do anything without without having like really strong sort of uh, fundamentals in in performance marketing and, and and reaching new users. And the way you reach new users on mobile is with ads, right? The storefront is not relevant, right? The storefront is not a decision point. A storefront is where you go and seek out something that you already know about, right? And well, maybe that happens with with with. Uh, with brand advertising, but it's very inefficient, right? It's much more efficient to just put an ad in front of somebody, have them click through and install. Now, if you're a, a CPG brand, you know, if you're Gillette, uh, well, then the decision point's at the store, right? And that's a normal behavior. I go to the store every week because I got to buy food. And when I'm at the store, I see Gillette. I say, oh, that's the best man I can get. I, I better buy that one because I've seen <laughs> the commercials, right? But that, 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 that feeds into my existing behavior, which is to go to the store every week to buy my food or to buy my supplies, right? It, just going to the app store to download something is not an existing behavior. You have to force that behavior. And the way you force it was with an ad. So that's my, uh, that's, that's my response to, 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 that, uh, to that article. And, and it, you know, it, it ties into a, a, a very, very sort of like uh, highly opinionated uh, 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 thesis that I have uh, which I've developed over many years. But, but when you but when you go into some of these companies and like look at the impact that a brand marketer has in a leadership role in some of these companies, um, what KPIs are they pointing to that are trying to measure the impact of brand equity? And have you and, and, and like what are the fallbacks of that, or what are the pitfalls of that? Sorry. So that's part of the problem too. It's like, well, okay, if you want, if you took that approach, right, and you. And you know, and the best, and the best, um, the best sort of encapsulation of this thesis is is the video of of uh, Gabe Layden from MZ talking about this at like some Venture Beat Summit or maybe it was even Re- no, it was a Recode event a couple years ago. To go on YouTube, Gabe Layden Recode. Uh, anyway, he talked about this. The point of the brand and the point of all their investment and in out of home into TV and radio and all that kind of stuff and 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 
you know, the celebrity IP was just to make their performance UA ads, you know, uh, more clickable, right? That was it. And they made all that IPM. back. Yeah, because they were running at scale. But I, I okay, sorry. By the way, you're, um, you're preaching gospel right now. Like I've, I've made this argument a million times and I totally agree with everything you said that performance marketing is for, for, for mobile, right? It's, you don't put brand people in these, these roles, right? But I actually was like the EA quote unquote brand manager, right? And I actually looked at this from that perspective of how can you actually drive value from the brand and apply it to, you know, packaged goods product. And the problem with that in gaming is that the brand is not EA. The brand is Battlefield or the brand is Need for Speed or right. the brand is, is FIFA, right? Now, having said that, EA Sports is one of the most recognized brands in the world, right, from a gaming perspective, you know, underneath Nintendo. And so that brand itself gives the credibility to the product that you're building, right? And quantifying it. And so the answer to your question, Adam, is it's impossible really to quantify. There are, there are firms out there that are that try to do rankings. Brand awareness. Brand value, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but so, I, do you actually see click-through rate differences with a larger brand to a smaller brand? Yeah. Is oh, that yeah, for sure. Yeah. Rate for sure. Difference? No, no, I, yeah. for sure. I think that's well, that, true. But 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 it's a typical exercise to go through, and, and I've you know done this when you're considering. Uh, and, and again, we're, you know, we're talking about mobile gaming here. We're talking about King, right? We're not talking about like because I get you know you're right for for packaged goods or you know I don't know when when you were running that uh, brand org, uh, Eric. If it was past the the packaged goods days and it was in the no, it was only uh, packaged goods days. So, so that's different. <laughs> so we're talking about mobile gaming right now. When you talk about game, no, no, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm trying to answer Adam's question, but then also totally agree with you is that the the, the market's different when you're selling yeah. premium product. Brands matter, right? right? But when you're selling a free-to-play game, it's about who's going to spend, who's going right. to convert, right? And so, like, your brand is almost – it can be almost irrelevant, you know? Right. Um, but but I, I do think there, there are ways that it gets quantified, right? So, so Adam, to your, to your point or to your question. So, yes, a, a common exercise to go through when you're considering licensing an IP is to negotiate with the IP holder. Let me run some tests. So let me use the brand in some limited amount of UA spend. Let me and I'm going to go and I'm going to run campaign A, which has whatever the brand, the IP on it, and I'm going to run campaign B, which is the exact same, essentially the same ad. It's just generic whatever um, instead of the IP. And let me just see what the kind of uplift is. And then you kind of think through, okay, well the game's in success. The game is going to be spending this much a year on mobile UA. I get this kind of premium. Now the difference here is that it's not that I get this kind of or I get this kind of discount on my ad spend, right? Because they perform better, um, and so therefore I spend less. It's actually I'm going to spend more. And make more money, right? Because that's the way mobile games UA works. Is you spend as much as you can, right, against your your performance standard. And, but but you can do that. You can do that, and you can you can build that model, right? Um, and and that's that's what happens. That's what companies do, and it's a really important part of the process. But 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 it's very much it's a it's quantitative exercise. And so the the, the question is then, who do you want leading that quantitative that quantitative exercise? Is it the brand person who's going to be like, no, the way the the best way to market this game is to get a brand attached. Or is it the performance UA person who's like, well, let's test it. Let's test it, put together a model. And that's not to say that brand people don't have that capability, but that's obviously not their core capability, not their no, core no. expertise. Sorry, that was the no, second point I want to make. This is all that- has to funnel back to a model, right? This all has to, so you can actually quantify the impact that the brand has, whether that's on, on click-through rate or another KPI, right. but then funnels back to There's going to be revenue, different, they're not going to probably look at performance metrics. They're going to look at some high-level, like, brand agency type of metrics of, of brand awareness and this type of stuff. I've seen a ton of those, those going on. Like, but then I'm sure I'm assuming that must be triggering super. Like, 
Oh, brand awareness. Well, uh, well, let's let's uh, let, before before Eric's get triggered. Like, let's give this a uh, benefit of the doubt because in order to be in this type of position, you have to be very humble because essentially you're starting at a white belt level and you need to be black belt in in two weeks. And the issues in these type of situations is that you're bringing existing ways of working, uh, and when it fails, is you disregard the industry or the company you're coming in, and you don't really understand what the people are doing who report to you. And that creates the problem that kind of pushes that person out of the company. And the challenge is you're hitting the ground running because you're already a CMO or director or a leader. uh, And learning on the job is impossible because you come into this corporation and essentially 10 hours out of day, you're in different meetings. So this happens not only with marketing, but it would same with any executive that would come in from sort of established company. Like if you're an executive at EA and you come into some rising startup, and you're bringing all your old ways of working to the startup and it won't last long. So what you should do, in my opinion, is you should get Eric Sufert as your Sherpa right now. <laughs> like, like, do a weekly call where you go through the key topics that, that is happening at your work. And he'll be able like, no, let's not do this metric. Let's go with that. And you can explain this way as well as like half of the call is him helping you communicating your goals and setting up those properly and you can have a discussion. And then the second half would be getting educated of what has been happening in the industry. And you do these weekly calls and in a year, you'll be an excellent CMO. That's, that's my, that would be my, my tip to succeed in this position. I'm not Sherpa Sufert. I'm not paying a referral (laughs) fee if this, (laughs) (laughs) but honestly, like it doesn't have to be Sufert. It could be any, you know, any, anybody who's, who's been long in the tooth in the industry and in the performance marketing, just get that type of person who you can be absolutely open with and kind of just, you know, under NDA discuss all these, all these things. Like I would do that if I would have to lead something that I'm not comfortable with. You know, I, I, I'm not, you know, I, I think, in this case, I'm sure she'll be successful. I'm sure it was a great hire, but but I, I'm 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 talking in very like high you know broad yeah. terms. And and I'm talking in this particular case, like it, just get a Sherpa, like it, anything, like you're count you're you're climbing Mount Everest, like you just you need some help, and that's what usually happens is that the, uh, the like for example, if I would be was his name Matt Wolf at, at Zynga, uh, oh <laughs> like he should have a crypto Sherpa. And and through that you could tweet every day. You'd be like, <laughs> you could go with your Sherpa, and he would give you like different things, and you'd be like, hey, let me drop this. Is this good? And he'd be like, yeah, that's fire. Like, put it out. <laughs> but a question for for I just want to get one question about these KPIs, right? Like, Eric, have you ever okay, seen stop, a stop, positive? Stop for, hey, hold on, please stop for a second, right, Adam? The minute you say KPI. Dude, I don't think Fernanda Romano knows what that fucking even means. I, I, don't, I, don't, oh, I don't think she's true. listening to this podcast. Oh, come on, Eric. Come, come on. on. Come on, Eric. No, I, you stop guys, it. You guys are out. It's stop like it. round pegs for well, whole shit going no. on right now. Like you guys There's are just different KPIs and brand that they're in performance marketing. That's, no. a, that's a different thing. So uh, that, no. that's, that's my question, right? Is is in when we talk about brand awareness KPIs, right? And when you can't map it directly to a mobile um, direct UA channel, right? You can't map it to IPM or CTR. Have you ever seen a positive experience where they're trying to use awareness KPIs to impact no, that funnel and no, that it actually I, translates as a revenue? So, so again, in this case, I'm I'm sure this is a great, you know, this is going to, the, the outcome of this appointment is going to be amazing, right? In most cases, uh, it's, <laughs> you, you actually would be shocked at the lack of data that is sort of exchanged um, or, or circulated in these kind of like you know, decision-making processes. Like for, for people that work in mobile gaming and are used to just sort of like injecting, you know, KPIs directly into our veins, 
um, and, and making like minute to minute decisions. Like it's, it's a, it's a totally different reality. Um, you know, I was in one of these meetings one time and I won't, won't go into specifics, but I mean, we, they basically brought an agency in and like the only data that they actually presented was, uh, Google trends charts. Yes. Right. Yes. <laughs> I've seen this. I've seen the same thing. I've, I've seen the agencies okay. and they, they do cool stuff, cool presentations, Let's take over Times Square. Always Times Square. It's always like, there's the, like, the loose, <laughs> loose correlation between Google Trends and results. Yeah. And they kind of capture okay. all of the upside based on. Chris is going crazy. I'm going nuts. I'm about ready to go. Because Eric had an absolutely brilliant piece on what the heck is going on. Like, why are they putting grant brand managers in a fundamentally KPI you know, quantitatively driven business, right? And that that's the point. What? Like we're talking what? around, the, stop, stop. Just stop talking, Mishka. You're driving me insane, okay? <laughs> the thing is that these creatives, have you ever been in an agency meeting? These people are mm-hmm. in cloud nine, right? This is like a philosophy major talking to a math major at Berkeley, right? They have nothing in common. They're, they're You know what I mean? Like you're crazy, you're crazy. The people that made the Got Milk commercial, don't have any fucking thing to do with someone that's doing quantitative like UA spend and, and optimizing against different platforms and fucking AB shit, right? Like, yeah, this is crazy. These are not the type of people that should be in these positions because they cannot su- succeed. And there's a fundamental reason why. One, they don't have the, the understanding or knowledge. They, they spent their entire career in a creative organization, right? They've never done quantitative analysis at all, right? Relatively, right? And... Their value prop that they're bringing as a senior executive is all built around their background, not like something they're going to learn on the job, right? I mean, like, I, 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 I don't know. You can't explain this shit away. And I've seen it firsthand. I've been, I've been dealing with this my whole career. Like, these people at EA, when I went into their marketing groups, I know it was a long time ago, but these marketing people were brilliant. Like, I, I could name the, all of them, how brilliant they were. But they didn't know anything about quant. They didn't know how to analyze the market. They didn't know how to do any of this because that's not what the way that they're built upon, right? So maybe things have changed. But I look at Fernanda, for instance, her background, she has no quantitative experience whatsoever. And so it just doesn't make any sense. And you could explain it away and, and hope for the best. This is the same ideas that I'm talking about this NFT crap, right? You can't hire a 10-year veteran from Coca-Cola to run an NFT thing. Like, it doesn't make sense, right? By anybody's measure, right? Anyway, all right, I'm done. And I, Mishka, you are, I, I'm about ready to go crazy. <laughs> no, do not. <laughs> I, 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 I'm just saying that that also, like, when you zoom out, I think it makes sense to invest into brand, especially with these type of long, big franchises. Like, I think Garena Free Fire should be investing into building a brand around their game. Like, it's a massive download game. It's it's huge. And, and they should, you know, invest into it so that they can build a franchise out of it more games uh same thing should be should be happening let's, like let's hear for like super's just sitting here like super quiet just, he's like uh, super's the expert on this let him the talk. sherpa let I, him talk. I, I, let him I, talk. no 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 i i have two words to close this discussion and they're for you chris content fortress oh <laughs> shit <laughs> oh. <laughs> on that note twig 159 it's a wrap mic drop Anyways, hopefully no country and no individual is offended. Uh, our BMI is too high to get offended by what we say. So, so, so have a good evening, day, week, anything, everybody. Knows.